Up next on Inside the SCCA, Endurance Racing 101 with Chris Dyson. Our guest today on Inside the SCCA is Chris Dyson. Yes, that Chris Dyson. Chris is a two-time American Le Mans Series prototype champion. He's raced twice in the Le Mans 24-hour race. He also has multiple starts in the Rolex 24 and the Sebring 12-hour and the Petit Le Mans. More recently, he's focused on the Trans Am Series where he's the reigning TA class champion. He's also raced some midgets and dirt cars, which we could talk about for a whole nother podcast. We'll do that maybe down the road. He's also a member of the prestigious Road Racing Drivers Club, and I can't be more honored to have you on the podcast. Chris, welcome. Brian, it's great to be here. So we're, we're going to talk endurance racing, and I've wanted to do kind of an Endurance Racing 101 podcast because SECA has this new endurance series that they're about to start in May, I think, is the first event. And who better to talk about endurance racing than a member of the famous Dyson family? Well, yeah, and, and I think it's a fantastic initiative that uh, the club's undertaking uh, to get people into endurance racing. It's actually how I started my endurance racing career, Brian, was, uh, you know, the longest night down at Moroso in Palm Beach. God, more than 20 years ago, but I, I learned a lot of lessons kind of just, you know, coming from the sprint race background. You know, I was a club racer coming from that background. Having to kind of cut your cut your you know, cut your teeth in this in this endurance setting, um, mixed class racing, which right. was unfamiliar, and and you know God, twenty four hours is so much longer than like a national race. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's kind of a shock to the system all around. I'm glad they're doing it, and obviously here to happy to help with any questions you may have about it. So in the first season of the SECA series, they're not going to do any 24-hour races. They're going to do, I believe, eight and maybe a 12-hour race will be their longest. But that's still plenty long. And it's a good way for the teams to kind of get their first experience with it before maybe next year where I'm hoping they, they do at least one 24-hour race. So, um, but the way you get ready for, you talked about Moroso. My first endurance racing experience was being a crew chief on a car at Moroso. And it was the first 24-hour race for that team. And it, it was crazy how um, much prep we put in before the race. Uh, we had replaced everything that was that could that could bound, bend or bounce or break. So all of the shocks were brand new. All of the brakes were brand new. The steering rack was brand new. I mean, we went through all of this probably more than we needed to, but we did it anyway. Um, and we still broke stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so so we, we, we are going to assume in many cases that a lot of folks who do this are bringing in their already SCCA legal race cars, whether it be an, uh, an improved touring car or a super touring or, or something along those lines, maybe a production car. So what should teams be thinking about, okay, we're going to do an eight-hour race. It's three months out. You know, What should I be doing to get ready for that as far as the car goes? I would make sure that anything that's a long lead time item that is a fundamental piece of the car is ordered immediately. And I may even think twice about the entry if I can't get those key items. Okay. Because remember, you got to be around at the end of eight hours. So the biggest thing to do is once you make that kind of commitment, think about all of the points on your car that are vulnerable uh, you know, this, we're not talking about the race. We're just talking about the car prep. Think about the pieces and the items you need. Think about spares too, because remember in endurance races, you can fix the car. If it's not too bad of a problem, you can fix the car and still get out there and, and get a result. Sure. And, and, and so having some spares that you may not have. And again, if you're planning on doing races beyond just the endurance race, it's going to be it's going to be maybe some more inventory, but that's that's the difference between the endurance racing maybe and 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 the the shorter races. But then you're covered for the shorter races, right. so you can't just look at it as loading up for one enduro. You got to look at it like, okay, I'm planning for the year. You may have to front end load it, but at the very least, you're covered. Right. Um, it's not that one piece that makes you put the car back on the truck. So one of the fail points or, or one of the wear points in an endurance race, in in my experience, and, and the biggest one is probably brakes. 
you know, as a sprint racer, you're trying to get 25 minutes to 45 minutes or 50 minutes out of a set of brakes, you know, and over a weekend. So you're not heating them up for extended periods of time. They're allowed to cool between sessions. So um, should 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 teams be looking at a different even break brake pad to extend longer? You know, what should they be thinking about their brake system? No, it's a great question. I mean, obviously, cooling is an issue depending on the track that you're on. You know, making sure that you get as much cooling as possible on the brakes. But let's just assume that's at your limit. The next thing to do is to start taking a look at the pads and making sure that you've got a pad that, look, if it has less bite, uh, but it lasts, keeps you out of the pits. You know, you got it. You do the math. You figure out how much you're going to lose in a pit stop to change brakes versus what you might lose on the watch. You know, it's a fair trade-off usually, right. and, and and more often than not, too. You can't drive like a sprint race, you know, in an endurance race. Like, and you know, certainly we've seen this now more and more. Time's going on. Cars are getting more reliable. People are driving endurance races a lot more aggressively now. But at the end of the day, you know, especially coming from the you know the club cars, it you've still got to manage the machinery. I mean, even the Trans Am, we've got to look after these cars. I think that's part of being a driver too. Right. I think if the things just take care of themselves, then we're not doing our part that, you know, the team, the team's obviously got to do their, their job to put the car together. But as a, as a crew, as a setup, as a driver, it's all part about getting to the end and keeping the car out of the pits. So yeah, brakes and any other components that you think would be wear items, you know, right. get the more durable ones. Right. You know, I, I look at brakes and back when, when I like did Moroso, we didn't really have an option for a long lasting brake. You know, so we had planned to change pads at the at the 12 hour mark and, you know, figured that was going to take us probably 15 minutes because everything's hot. And 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 we ended up having to do it twice because we had a brake pad break <laughs> literally destroyed itself. And uh, mm-hmm. but still nowadays you can find some compounds, especially on a street type car. That could go 12 or 24 hours, especially in an 8 or a 12-hour race. You shouldn't have to change mm-hmm. brakes if you pick the right set of pads and rotors, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and it's again, it, more often than not now, the compounds have evolved enough that you're probably not giving up that much on performance. Again, too, there's the technique and the driving, too, which we could talk about separately when we get to the, the, the right, driving side. Right, Yeah, the second half of our podcast, we're going to talk about everything a driver needs to, to do. Uh, or as much as we can uh, to uh, get ready and, and how to drive a race like this. So that's this. That's going to be the second half of our podcast. So as a team, what are we? You know, we, we're, we're working on the car. We've kind of identified those points that we want to update or have have new stuff on it. So let's let's say that is kind of taken care of. Now we have to start making that checklist of things that we have to have on the trailer for the race weekend, for for a long race like that. And and a lot of these teams probably have never done pit stops, maybe. A lot of these teams wouldn't even, you know, don't know what to have in the pit lane versus back in the trailer. So let's talk a little bit about that. What should we be loading up on the trailer on the on the week before the, the weekend before the race? Well I think you're 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 correct to point out the uh, the pit stops. And, and I think the best thing you can do is, if you're at the shop, imagine, car comes into the pits, we've got to service it, what do we need? Not just the people, what tools do we need to do it quickly, uh, to do it you know, without making mistakes, um, and, and to not give up that time on the track. That will right then and there, you know, identify for yourself, what am I missing? You know, car comes into the pits, think about it, what could be happening? What do I need to have in pit lane? You, you know, you can and play through. You can bench. I mean, look, bench racing is not just something you and I can do. It's it's something that truly is, is simulations aren't just for setting up the car. There's a lot to be gained from race simulations for the team, even just down to identifying the inventory, the stuff you need, kind of where people would need to be. And the better rehearsed you are, and the more more foresight, you, the forethought you've given to this the better prepared you'll be because you'll have thought of it. Right. The less of a surprise. Look, everything is going to be a baptism by fire, believe me. I had gone to Le Mans the first time as a spectator. I'll tell you what, first time you're in the car and you're driving around there, it doesn't matter if you've been there before. Right. It, the lights, everything is overwhelming. So it's going to happen to everybody. Talk to people who have done this before. Ask them. Ask your community. 
they'll they'll steer you clear of making some mistakes and making sure you got stuff on the truck. But don't go into you can't go into endurance race. Got to know that the discipline is entirely different. It's racing. You're there to win, but it's a different approach to a normal race weekend. And and the one thing that costs you nothing is practicing pit stops. There's mm-hmm. not, there's no, you know, it, there's no, I mean, it might cost you a six pack of beer for the people who are helping you to, <laughs> you know, to come over on a Saturday afternoon, but to park the car in the, in the driveway and, and just run around the thing, pretending like it just pulled up, popping the gas cap, all that kind of stuff. That is the, that is free training that you can do at home before you ever get to the racetrack, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and again, it makes it second nature. Uh, you know, it's no different than a sports team just running through drills. Yep. It's how you got to look at it. You know, I mean, the, the, the team is there, the mechanics are there to execute and to execute with as little mistakes as possible. So absolutely. Yeah. Just take the car. You can roll it in. You got a stopwatch in your hand. That doesn't lie. Right. You can put a watch on it, kind of figure out where you are, start establishing some benchmarks, look at what the competitors did the year before, if you can, and you'll know where you are. And the more you can get those bumps and bruises out of your way early, the better you're going to be when you get to the racetrack. Right. And, and I would also suggest to have the drivers there, if at all possible, so that they can practice getting in and getting out of the car quickly. Although I'm pretty certain that this will be a five-minute like timed pit stop with the SCCA, so it won't be kind of that you know race to get out. But i got to tell you, the first time you do a live pit stop, even if you have five minutes and you're trying to change drivers, who in the SCCA as a sprint racer gets in their car and is buckled and ready to actually go on the racetrack in less than five minutes in a sprint race. Nobody. Well, no. And Brian, remember too, you know, if you're the only guy driving in a national race, you know, depending on when you go to grid, you've got all that time to kind right. of get yourself in the zone. You know, it's a totally different thing when it's, you know, bang, right. You know, you got to hit the switch. Uh, so that's another thing that's a different orientation, but you're absolutely right. So what do you do if, um, you know, let's say you've got drivers who aren't all from your area. Like you've got a guy from who's coming from a different part of the country who just isn't practical for them to come and practice a pit stop, you know, in and out. And even more importantly, impractical for them to actually be there to make sure they fit in the car properly, depending on who they may or may not be coming in and out of the car before or after. Um, obviously, you're going to have to do that on race weekend. So, so what's the thought process on that? Well, think about your driver lineup. You know, think about sizes. Um, usually the way that we like to do it is that, you know, if you can have at least two of the guys be similar size, you know, and if you got, if you got four guys or five guys, the best thing to be is, is that if you can get, you can't all get them at the same size, but if you can get like a pe- groupings as the same size, it means that it's one less adjustment for the seat for maybe two or three guys in one rotation. Right. Okay. It's not a seat insert going in between guys and because that's the kind of stuff that you know seat insert gets plugged or you know you're you're messing around with the adjuster uh, you, you know no one look i mean at the end of the day it's all compromised these right. endurance races right. you're sharing right. right um but yeah i would say that you just start thinking proactively about the size of the drivers kind of going in and then you know think about how that works from a comfort standpoint and just talk about it just talk through it with them and 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 make sure everybody's comfortable i mean we'll get to like the kind of prep talk that you ought to have with your drivers beforehand. but from a sizing thing, logistics, just make sure that they're, you can get groupings. So if it's three guys, the same and two guys, the same or something like that, the optimal is everybody's the same, but that's not going to happen these days. Sure. Sure. So uh, I'm certain almost that there won't be any overhead fueling rigs or anything like that. These are going to be probably five-gallon dump cans. Uh, Any suggestions on that process for a team that's never done something like that before? I'm guessing practice it at home, if at all possible. That's a good way to start, right? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the fuel thing is one of those things that you just can't mess around with because there's there's consequences. And, And making sure that if you're going to spend anything extra, just make sure that you have all the safety equipment you need for the fueler. I've been around cars in cars where fire breaks out. You want to talk about something wild. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure that you're covered. Make sure that the, the fueler is not only practicing, they're practicing with the equipment on because right. that's a vital job. And like you said, it's not going to be, you know, stably fasteners, uh, you know, quick release stuff. There's going to be some manual labor involved. 
make sure it's somebody who's kind of cool under pressure too. Right. Right. And, and also, um, it, it doesn't hurt to have a person who's a little more on the hefty side doing that job, you know, because picking up that, uh, five gallon bucket, you know, dump can, and then taking it out and grabbing the next one and putting it in, cause you're probably going to get maybe 10 or 12 gallons in on, on an IT car or, or the typical SCCA car. That's not something, uh, that that's easy to do over and over again. So you might want to think about who you're going to have doing that job as well. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, big, strong legs help. Right. You know, particularly for 24 hours, I mean, having the ability to lift from the legs, you know, and get the right positions, because remember, it's about keeping the team together, too. It's a long day for everybody. Right. So let's talk about tires and changing tires for a second. I I think there's a lot of opportunities these days for for teams to get tires that could probably go most of the race, you know, especially on the four or the eight hour races. There's a trade off between tire adhesion and 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 speed and the amount of times you have to change the tires and the the mistakes that can happen with that you know you these are not going to be single lug um type wheel setups for the most part so you know you spin one you you strip off one lug nut and you'll have a long time in the pits fixing that right yeah no you're absolutely right brian and and you know not only not only do you just not want to change stuff that you don't have to but there's value to in in having the tire, particularly if it's a cold weekend. Right. There's a lot of value in still having a tire that's hot right. going back on the track. Because, yes, stickers, great in some cases, but not all. Some of the DOT, the, ra- the racing-based tires, you know, they, they build heat in different ways right. than, let's say, a slick would. So you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and that's another thing, too, that if you have to change tires, that's something you really have to be painstaking about right because a wheel comes off the car forget it right you're out you're not getting the car back to the truck either usually from out on the track what what i always did was uh is is since you'd probably have that five minute window i always told everybody you know take them off with the gun but every lug gets started by hand you've got the time to do it take the time and what we did is we used cold lugs to go on to let the, the hot lug stay off so you weren't trying to put a hot lug back right on even with gloves on a hot lug nut can be really really hot so we'd walk out you know with a handful of five lug nuts we'd pop off the five hot ones we put five cold ones on starting the first three or four threads and then zip them on with the with the lug nuts because I was just desperately afraid of cross threading a lug nut and then having to figure out how long can that can that tire last yeah no it it, it you your day's kind of over. And again, this is what it comes down to. The endurance racing, it's so much a team effort, you know, getting these little details right. And honestly, there's no harm in obsessing about it because it's the stuff that you weren't expecting that's going to take you out. So right. if you're thinking about this deeply, involving the guys on the team, getting the guys excited about it early, it means that you'll have a better race weekend when it's when you're there. How about the care and feeding of the crew, literally? You know, you could be standing out in for eight or twelve or twenty-four hours in all types of crazy weather, sleep-deprived. You know, what's your recommendations on making sure everyone is is as comfortable as possible and fed and that kind of thing? Well, it, it's it's a bigger part of the story than I think even anybody thinks. You know, the fueling the people is, is just as important as fueling the car and you know, you've got to kind of prepare yourself for the long term. I mean, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So, you know, foods intakes, food intake, you can have hydration. You've got to pace it. Um, You know, it's not going to be just a gigantic breakfast followed by seven or eight hours of starvation. It shouldn't be that. It should be smaller meals, you know, uh, snacks, you know, just a little bit every all throughout the race, drivers and crew. And the whole time, making sure that you're hydrated and not just on the spot slamming down waters slamming down you know gatorades or, or heads or anything like that it's it's actually like in like the three or four days leading up to it start thinking about it as if you're a marathon runner and that goes for everybody on the crew too and if you can have someone whose job is just to look out for people 
you know, to, to, to watch, you know, who hasn't eaten, who hasn't drank yet, you know, tap them on the shoulder and say, you know, you need to eat something or you need to grab a Gatorade or whatever, whatever your sport drink of choice is, you know, and to have someone who's kind of sitting over and looking at 35,000 feet, it's what's about what's happening at 10,000 feet. And, and, and that's just a huge help if you can find someone, an extra person, which we never have, we never have an extra person. But, uh, but if you can kind of assign someone that job of keeping after people, that's also really, really helpful. Uh, mother, mothers, mothers are so helpful for that. <laughs> I mean, my mom will still tell you she's trying to keep me fed. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and she—that's what she did for my father all those years, looking after him, especially yeah. in the early days. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm sure there's a thousand things that we need to talk about that we haven't. What are some of the things that you think we haven't touched on that we should? As far as the as far as the car prep goes, um, depending on when the race falls. If you're going to be, if it's going to be a kickoff event, when you get done with the season, really start taking the car down to a greater detail refinement than maybe you've done before right. for your normal off-season prep. Because the endurance racing, you got to imagine it. It could be as much as, you know, it 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 could be as much as three, two or three times your race distances you're going to get in a normal season. So think about that. Right. Think about what the maintenance cycle would look like on things. Um, you know, getting in touch with your suppliers early. I can't stress that enough. Build in those vendor relationships. So that way, as, as the, uh, you know, as the, as the crescendo approaches, you got your vendors covered and you got goods right there on your, on your truck. Right. I, I mean, believe it, the supply chain issues we've got right now. Yeah. There's no harm in thinking ahead. Definitely. Um, and, I think as far as like the the overall like crew prep, get get a crew of guys that can pull for each other. The the, the mental makeup of a of a group of guys, you got to make sure it's a group that you guys have been together for like long periods of time and it's gone okay. Because you add the stress and strains of a race and a group that's not really been together, you know, you don't want the team to fight and fighting right. each other right. you want everybody going in the same direction having kind of effectively the endurance for each other you know families sometimes are good for that that's why you know obviously i'm i'm biased but right. um you want to make sure it's folks that you know you guys are gonna be pulling for each other all through the night because they're or, or during the day they're long days a couple of other things that just hit me um radios are really important to have and and make sure you let your drivers know what type of helmet communications connectors they need to have nothing you know is worse than getting to the racetrack and you've got three guys with the right helmet and you know connectors and one guy without it or one driver without it that stinks it, it does and speaking of stinks make sure that you bring a couple you know if you can bring an extra race suit mm-hmm. bring extra fire speaking underwear and hang the stuff out because <laughs> you've got to make your environment nice remember this is something you don't think about yeah sprint weekends absolutely absolutely you're going to be getting back in the car usually in another hour or so just remember how you're going to you know how you want to feel <laughs> um also, so talk just briefly, because we're coming up on our halfway point where you want to switch over to talking about the driver. Talking about ha- who should be on the radio. Should we have one person who you know is really calm and cool and collected? Or do we, you know, how do you manage that of who's actually going to be? You have to pick someone to be in charge, right? Naturally, yes. Yeah. And, and sometimes uh, the guy in charge... Maybe doesn't have the best radio delivery, but he's great at organizing the troops. He can he can relay the script to someone who's in the booth, the broadcaster um, who's in the booth, who can then send the message out to the car. The most important thing is the least amount of talking on the radio, the better. Right. right? It, it, it should be a need to know basis. Um, it, it you've got the all the rest of the time to talk, you know, out of the car, um, and also too things happen on the track that you need to keep the radio clear for. So you want to make sure it's someone who can be brief, um, who can kind of deliver their points very calmly. You want to make sure it's someone who is conscious of where the drivers are on the track too, because a guy could be launching into a, the fastest corner at road Atlanta. Uh, that's not really a great time for a radio transition. Right. If you're a driver car owner, here's my pro tip. If you're a driver car owner, you probably need to hand over the operations of race day to someone else. 
I, I had someone, that, the person I was talking to you about that I did Moroso with, great guy, great logistics, great getting the car prep, great putting the team together. Uh, but I knew by watching him at sprint race weekends that he wasn't the person to be in charge of this whole operation on race day because he's just all over the place. And 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 he sat down. I said, I want you to crew f- for me. And I said, okay. We should have a talk, <laughs> and he was he was he was okay enough with himself to say, you know what, you're right, you know, let's have you know. He asked me to do it in the end, but um, he knew that especially when you're in a car, you can't make the decisions. You can't. You're not seeing the big picture. But even when he was out of the car, he was had his mind was everywhere and just didn't really focus on the things that needed to be done. Ultimately, it would have been his final decision, but he he kind of let it a whole whole thing go. And I think it's important to think about that, especially if you're the driver car owner. It's such, you know, it's such a humbling thing, endurance racing. It's kind of figuring out what everybody does best and then getting everybody on board with the idea that we've all got to do what we're best at. Right. And it really has to be one of these things where you really subordinate your egos to the team mission. And if that means that, um, you know, a higher strong guy who's maybe great from the sprint side maybe needs to just throttle back or maybe needs to just be put and segmented out that's 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 going to be a better approach to just be calm and methodical right you know because you can be exciting and you can be upbeat but you're not gonna be able to do that for 8 10 12 hours you know it's pretty rare how about being realistic with your expectations i mean for most of these drivers and teams in many cases this may be their first ever endurance racing experience somebody's gonna win somebody's gonna come in last but but you know to be realistic with what your first weekend's going to be i think is really important to kind of get yourself through it right oh there's no question it's you know it, but race and i think most racers get that you know someone's going to come out of the weekend with a winning trophy and some guys may roll in the truck with nothing right. you know i mean you know and and i think that that's what makes it excellent right it it rewards performance and it rewards results in, in a more direct fashion than probably anything else we can do right, right on earth. That's one of the things that's fantastic about racing. Right. But remember, if you're going into an endurance race for the first time, it's it's a jump into the unknown. You may find that actually it suits you maybe better than the sprint races. But if you're not immediately great for an entire stint, you know, if you're fast at the beginning and you slow up or, you know, you're you're maybe a little too conservative through your stint, just benchmark it against your competitors. Right. And it's a it's a great sport because you can always do better. Right. Even if you won the event, there's there's things you can be doing better. So, you know, come back, do more. Right. Um, take advantage of the opportunity. That these stints are long. You're getting this great time in the car and it's in competition. Um, don't get discouraged and focus on what you can the little mini lessons you can pick up even within a stint and then you'll apply those later and the next enduro you do you'll be even better i i, I couldn't agree more I, I just did the 12 hour or the 24 hours of daytona iRacing event for the first time oh boy and <laughs> what i did on my first stint versus what i did on my last stint exhausted is entire i mean i was 20 times better at my last stint even with the fatigue uh, and right. and it's the same way when you're doing these races on a real racetrack. You know, you're gonna every time, every corner, you're just adding to your book of knowledge, and and even throughout that that race, and then to the next race. But even throughout that race, you're gonna be better at the end. You might not be faster because the car might not have it in it at the end of the race, but you'll know that you're taking that corner better at the end because you've now got a hundred laps versus the twenty laps that you'd get in a sprint race. You know, it's the most bizarre thing, but Andy Wallace and I, the first year we went to Le Mans, or I, first year I went to Le Mans, Andy was there. And the next day we went out and we were on the track and we both said, God, you know, it was almost like we didn't want to leave because at the end of the race, you're so locked in, you know, every inch of the place. Right. And this goes for any track you're racing, endurance race. But I remember Andy saying he'd won the thing. And he said, you know, I always like to come out if I can the day after. And just look at the track, you know, back it's converted back to public roads and just get one last feel for it because I want to think about it right. the whole year between then and the time he's back. Cool. And I took a lot out of that because, you know, as you say, 
it just gets embedded in your brain and then the car becomes a part of you and all of a sudden you're kind of part of the machine too. Right. right. And your brain's a muscle and it's all muscle memory, you know? Right. So, all right, let's, this is a good spot. Let's take a break because I think we, we want to talk about the driving side of this. So let's do that. And when we come back, we'll talk about driver prep, fitness, food, hydration, all that important stuff. We'll do that next on Inside the SECA. I'm Dorsey Schrader, and when I'm on my way to a race, I'll listen to the SECA podcast Inside the Short Bus. When I need numbers for my autocross time trial or road race car, I go to autocrossdigits.com. Christian and his crew offer top quality magnetic and vinyl numbers. Their website is easy to navigate. The prices are great and most orders ship in four business days. If you need numbers for your car, check out autocrossdigits.com. Tell them the podcast guy sent you. All right, we're back on Inside the SECA talking endurance racing with one of the best in the business, Chris Dyson. He's done everything from Le Mans to the Rolex 24 to Sebring to the Petit Le Mans. He's also a really good guy. You know, we've, we've seen each other and we've talked at the racetrack a couple times, but I've never had a chance to really sit down and have an extended discussion with you. Um, and and I knew you would have the knowledge needed for this, um, but uh, I, I really can't thank you enough for, for sharing what you're sharing. It's going to help so many people in that first race. So um, really appreciate it. Let's go right now to driver prep. We've talked about the car, um, but getting ready for your first 24-hour race as a driver is a whole different deal than get ready for a sprint race. So when you're getting ready for any endurance race, when does your prep start? So, Well, actually, before you start, assuming mm -hmm. you are in reasonable driver fitness, you know, I mean, we all have varying fitness levels. I, of course, am not as fit as you are, but I don't do, you know, 24-hour races. So let's just assume that, that people are in a reasonable driving fitness. Where When do you start prepping for an endurance race? You know, it's it's interesting, Brian, because if, you, if you're usually active and if you're strong enough to, to do, you know, a lap and, and, you know, let's say a national or regional race distance – you're strong enough to drive the race car, but it's the stamina that's going to deliver the results. So, you know, when you're doing a 24 hour race, you've got to kind of back the training up and then start to add a little bit more exertion on the cardio side. And it can be incremental. You know, you can't, you can't cram for these things, right? You know, your body just doesn't accept cramming, right? You've got to start to gradually build out the endurance. Um, and that means, you know, your, your, um, your aerobic fitness, um, your, and, and, and frankly, your, your muscle stamina. Right. So it's a mix. Um, I would say you'd probably want to start if you were going to do like a, let's say, a you know, an eight hour race and you were going to maybe drive two or three of those hours, Remember, if you're used to driving in the regionals, the nationals, that's maybe five times what you're used to driving in a day in one race. So, you know, get a feel for how your body um, feels after those events and realize that you've got to do a multiple of that right? over and over and over again. And the heat, uh, that dehydration, you know, your body's going to go through heat cycles. I, I would say you'd probably want to start a good couple months out right. uh, with training and do it gradually. That's what I tell people is, you know, when people train for a marathon, they usually do a 12 or a 16 week program where they ramp up to a certain extent and then they and then they taper off at the end. That's right. It's a very similar thing for getting ready for an endurance race, right? Well, it is. And, you know, the tapering is probably the most important thing because you really want to make sure that, you know, you aren't depleted. Um, what do I mean by depleted? Your glycogen stores, um, your hydration, your lactic acid buildup. Um, you don't want to have your adrenaline glands like just exerted with, you know, with stress and pounding away, you know, at peak, you know, the, you train the hardest, the further away you are from your first event. Right. And you get to a level where you kind of climb a mountain with the training. And then this is assuming you're not racing all winter. And I've had winters sometimes right. where I'm racing and that just suffices, but, uh, you're going to, you're going to want to get up to a, a level and then focus on maintaining and then a taper measured taper down kind of close to the event. Right. 
How about uh, food and, and your nutrition prep, let's say the week or two prior to the race, and then we'll then take a second or a minute or two, whatever, and talk about during the 12 or 24 hour race, your nutrition for that. So let's start with the week or two ahead. Do you eat any differently when you're getting ready to go into a, uh, an endurance race? Um, I won't, I won't eat differently, but I might, um, you know, particularly if I feel like my, my fitness is, is good, I may closer to the event, um, start to give myself a little bit extra, um, at the meals, just a little bit at each meal. Um, you know, I, eat, I eat probably six, sometimes seven times a day, mm-hmm. small meals throughout the whole day. Um, my metabolism is fast, but it's also, it's, it's faster when I'm training and, you know, remember, like if you're geared up to be competing, you want to be doing the same patterns. Right. So your body's not, it's not an unfamiliar thing. Um, you know, when you're, when you're going into an event, um, I think the optimal thing is, is just try to be consistent, whether you're racing or whether you're not just try to get yourself in a state of mind that I'm a competitive athlete. Um, I need endurance. I need stamina. What should I, how should I be honoring my body kind of as we prepare for this? And, um, as far as, as far as getting into the weekend, um, everyone's body is different. I think obviously the days of like one size fits all diets are, are dispelled, whether it's the, right. the food pyramid or whether it's the Atkins diet, right? right. You've got to know what works for you. I would avoid salts. Um, I would, I would be taking in, you know, um, the electrolytes, you know, the, the magnesium, potassium stuff that's softer. The salt tends to be, um, it tends to cause cramping. Mm-hmm. So the one thing I do taper out of as events get closer, particularly on hot weekends, is I start to taper out of high sodium okay. foods. Um, not that I eat a lot of them, but that's one thing that you can cut that your body will thank you for later. Right, right. So on race day, you know what what is what is your thought process on how you eat throughout the twenty four hour or the twelve hour period? Well, this is a, this is an interesting one. So, you know, there's different schools of thought on it. I mean, I've raced with some guys that have a huge breakfast and then they eat light through the week, through the, through the day. Um, I've had some guys that, that, that eat very little throughout the race. Um, some drivers just eat soup. Hmm. Um, I, I think it's whatever works for your body, right? Um, the one thing you do want to avoid though is just massive gluts of food right um you want to make sure it's spaced out um through the through the day for a lot of reasons right you don't want to feel bloated you don't want to cramp up remember too the most you're generally the rule of thumb is is that the most during exercise and when you're busy when you're like at a high metabolism the most your body can kind of process in within an hour is like two to three hundred calories within an hour so if you're going to be doing a two hour stint, bear that in mind. You know, if you're going to eat that, you know, you, you don't, anything more than that, your body's not going to be able to deal with. And you don't want to be flooding your body with simple sugars. You want to eat, you know, fruit, complex carbohydrates, um, lean proteins, not a lot of salt, and spread out the portions. Right, right. And w- whatever you do, do not eat anything on race day that you've never eaten before. Because <laughs> oh, that's the truth. <laughs> you know, I, I've I've seen someone. You know, you know the, the caterer makes you know something that looks amazing that you'd love to try. But you know what? Ask the caterer to put the little in the fridge, and you can have it at the end of the race. You just never ever want to try anything on race day that you've never eaten before, because there's nothing worse than getting a half hour into a forty-five minute or a two hour or an hour and fifty minute stint and go. Um, Back to that needing a second suit problem. <laughs> you don't want to have to worry about that. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what. You're not kidding. I mean, Brian, you know, you got to remember it's, it is, you know, your body is going to feel different when yeah. you're doing these long stints. It's not going to be a normal weekend if it's your first enduro. Right. Do you do any, um, do you do any simming? Um, I used to. Okay. I used to quite a bit more than I do now. Um, you know, and, and I, I didn't really get into the to the e-racing thing. I'd love to have gotten into it uh, during the pandemic, but um, we had four kids here and it yeah. was just busy <laughs> enough. So I just meditated and sort of watched right. YouTube and right. got my mind ready to race again. But uh, simming is good. Uh, it, it particularly now with the with the technology they've got. And 
the most important thing it's it's good for is just that rote consistency you know just getting used to the rhythm rhythms because the endurance races to a far greater degree than the sprint races allow you to kind of build that rhythm right uh in your body and 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 frankly one of the things that's really good about the simulate simulators is just getting used to how you you know how you move your body in the car because Mm -hmm. that's that's something that's that's i think very important for endurance racing is to try to figure out a driving technique and, and an input strategy that just doesn't ask a lot from your body. It's very easy to kind of get tensed. And you can check yourself on this too when you're on the simulator. Are my hands tightening up? You know, are, are my forearms tightening up? Yeah, okay, it's a screen. It's not the same as if you're driving down on sure. a, you know, at Watkins Glen down the, through the S's, right? But if you treat that screen as if it's the reality, you will build the discipline for right. yourself and the consistency will come. And it's a great low cost way to get in the groove, so to say. And it does two other things, I think, especially for someone who's only done sprint racing. You know, you can sit in front of the sim and you can do a two-hour stint. And and while it's not the same as in the car, you know, your arms will fall off after two hours of simming if you've never done it before. You know, and it'll give you a real good idea of what that is. The other thing you can do is you can crank up the heat in the house and you can kind of simulate what it's like to drive in hot temperatures for two hours. Um, it's, again, not the same as being in a closed car, but it's better than nothing, right? No, I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's about building that that mental stamina as much as the physical stamina um, because it's a connected sport, right? It's not just you're, you're, you have to be sharp here in order to, to exercise the body. And, you know, I, I think to your point, Brian, the key is to try to figure out why am I getting tired? Mm-hmm. You know, am I get, I'm getting tired because maybe this isn't as seamless as it needs to be. And it's, it could be a little bit more, um, a little bit more gradual with inputs, right. a little more deliberate, a little less spiky right. with the loads. Um, and that's, that's a great way for, for building habits, actually. You know, the, the other thing you can practice with the sim is you can set up the sim. You can go to bed. You can set your alarm for 3 a.m. and then say, <laughs> okay, in 15 minutes, I'm going to be driving a race car. And you can simulate that portion of it. You know, that's a whole different deal waking up, you know, and like in 15 minutes strapping into a race car. You know, and then you can decide, okay, I need more than 15 minutes. You know, I need 30 minutes or I need 45 minutes or whatever the case may be. Again, not the same, but certainly better than nothing. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting too. There's a lot to be said for the whole circadian biorhythms mm-hmm. thing. I mean, That's I mean Tom my next question. Yeah. Tom Christensen was unsurpassed at night at Le Mans. I mean, he could go out and do triple stints. Every lap within a half second of it. Yeah. One after the other, the other for years and years and years. And what it came out to is that his body just worked great during those hours. Right. So it's trying to, and that might be how, when you're thinking about your stint strategy, you know, think about the guy who is a night owl, you know, maybe work in the grave graveyard shift. Well, when, um, when I did the 24 hour sim race, I'm on the West coast. All my other drivers were on the East coast. So I got in the car at 10 o'clock at night on the West Coast and did two hours. And, you know, that's 3 o'clock in the morning. And then, you know, so that was a time when they could get a couple of hours of sleep and then come back fresher. And it just made sense. So exactly what you're saying is, you know, it just, you know, think about those types of things. So. It, it's it, absolutely. No, yeah. Brian, you're you're absolutely right. And and just getting getting your body and your mind used to what's coming right. is a big part of success. Right. So do you sleep differently in the week before or the two weeks before? Do you try to like, or or do you pick someone on the team and say, okay, and tell them ahead of time, you're going to do the overnight shift. So maybe you want to shift your sleeping so that you're better during that time. Is that something that a team should think about? It it, it wouldn't hurt if someone's able to do that. Right. Frankly. Um, You know, I used to have all of these prep tips also for you know for 24-hour races or at least what i thought i should be doing it all gets thrown out right (laughs) no and then i had my son and (laughs) at that point i didn't sleep i got the most sleep i got all year at (laughs) le mans i actually i'm not kidding and 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 i'm gonna tell you what like so maybe the guy who's got the newborn who wants a 24-hour race nighttime's not going to be a problem for him because he's going to be getting more sleep than he's getting at home right that's funny 
That's funny. What's your strategy for sleeping during an endurance race? It's, obviously, if it's a 12 or an hour race, that's not an issue. But let's say it is a 24-hour race. What's your strategy for, for sleeping in that situation? I think the most important thing is, is maybe as much as sleeping is just trying to get yourself centered. Um, and that's, I mean, I know some people may think that's new age, but you know, I, I think that that's a big part of, of just dealing with the, the stresses and strains. Um, if that means that you can sleep great, if it means you can just sort of rest and sort of meditate and find a quiet place or a rhythm in your breathing, in your mind to just keep yourself in the moment, um, and help your, help yourself transcend kind of pain or maybe the aches that you're feeling. Um, I, I'd say that, you know, to support that, you know, make sure that when you get out of the car, you're trying to get fluids, you're trying to get a little food. And if, I mean, most importantly, if you're in a place where it's cold, and I think this is a key thing, figure out where there's showers, mm. get a hot shower, get dry clothes as soon as you can. Wow. Okay. And then get some food and then try to put your feet up because right. what you don't want to do is get chilled. That is the death knell. And anybody who was at the Moroso races in like the early 2000s know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 25 degrees and then having to go out and work a corner, right? Yeah. During the event, which we all had to do. It's crazy. Um, it, 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 you know, you don't want to be in a sweaty suit and you want to be dry and warm as much as you can be. Also think I if you I, I worked with a driver once who had sleep apnea and had to have a sleeping machine. So we had to make sure there was a place for them to plug the machine in at the track for the hour that they were going to try to sleep, you know, that kind of stuff. So all those little things that you don't think about, you have to think about, um, you know, and if you if you can afford to have a motorhome for your drivers to find a place to just lay down for an hour or two, that's a huge thing. Um, I would almost consider that a requirement even for if, if it's if it's longer than a 12 hour race and you're going through the night. Um, I, I just feel like that's almost a requirement these days. Yeah, it's one gigantic camping trip because remember, you're living at the track right to a far greater degree than normal. Um, you know, but it's, it's really important that, that the team looks after each other. Yeah, as best you can. What do you do for hydration? Do you prehydrate the week before? Do you and then what do you do on race day? Um, I just, like I said, I mean, I, I hydrate probably more through the diet that I've got, just not draining water out of me. Um, you know, and, and trying to take in, take in quality electrolytes. Um, I think there's a lot of electrolyte products out there that are, um, problematic. They're a little bit more sugary than anything else. Right. Um, and um, you know, there are, there are some fantastic hydration products out there. Uh, you know, I, I, I hammer nutrition products are, you know, I'm just drivers are starting to endorse them and showcase them. I've been using their products for God, it's close to 15 years. Um, they've got a tremendous line of products. There's um, another one I use. You, it's called Noom and it's just, it's yeah, a, Noom is great. It's a Noon hydration. I love the way. Noom, yeah. Yep. It's, it's an uh, electrolyte pill almost like an Alka-Seltzer. You drop it in your water, you shake it up, and there's no sugar. It's just electrolytes. And it doesn't have any taste to it. Uh, and it really does do the trick without all of the stuff that you don't want in a sports drink. The, the key also, too, with, with some of the hydration beverages and, and even like even some of the noons, just make sure that you're not getting like the caffeinated ones inadvertently. Right. Because the caf caffeine is a diuretic, right. which kind of defeats the purpose. But they do have them, yeah. um, and it's it that another thing too that's that's I think interesting sometimes too is is they've got you know like like um, there's like products like that that goo makes um, which is like a you know sort of like a gel right. that marathoners try uh, those are sometimes very effective and and have can can sometimes have some some good uh, water retention in them. But with the gels, make sure you try them before race day because some people's gastro does not like those gels. I'm one of those people. I tried a gel once in a 5K race, and I made it 2K. <laughs> yeah, no, the maltodextrose that yeah. is, is in a lot of them isn't for everybody. Yeah. So you're absolutely right, Brian. Yeah, be really careful with those. Not, not be careful, but just make sure you test, test drive the gel a week or two ahead of time. Last thing I think I want to touch on, and again, there's hundreds of other things. Oh, there's two more things I want to touch on. Um and one's probably the bigger discussion. What do you do for the to prepare for the heat or or the cold? So more often than not, it's going to be hot. Um, and I think that 
you know, I've been training for a long time to race in hot cars. And, and one of the things that's, it, you can do it without being like too masochistic, (laughs) but I do find that actually like training in a gym, that's a little bit warmer. Um, and frankly, one of the things that can make it feel warmer than it is, is warmth plus humidity. Mm -hmm. If you've got the ability to have a humidifier in the place where maybe you got an elliptical or a treadmill, um, that's a good way to heat condition. You can obviously bundle up and wear heavier clothes than what you're used to when you're exercising indoor or outdoors. Um, yeah, it's otherwise it's going to be a shock when you're out there for as long as you are. You know, and, and this sounds a little crazy, but if you live in a warm climate, you know, when you're driving, don't use your air conditioner, you know, roll the windows down and, and sit in your hot car. And that that's every little bit of that helps. So believe it or not, that's what I used to do at Sebring. Yeah, when we had the Lola. When we had the Lola coops. I would actually just shut the AC off completely and just melt during practice. Yeah, just to get to it. There you go. So I guess this is probably the, we should have maybe spent more time on this part. But um, as a driver you know, who's never, maybe never done an endurance race. Talk about the mindset now. You know, we've got probably 10 minutes left here. Let's talk about the mindset of making sure you keep the car on the track, making sure you you, you have that risk reward for trying to go fast, but damn it, you know, wearing out parts on the car. What's the mindset of a first-time driver going into their first endurance race? Make, realist, make realistic demands on yourself and look at it from a standpoint of this is your first time. Um, don't think that you've got to prove anything other than that you can keep the car on the road and do consistently good laps. You know, that one lap that's maybe the team best, if you throw it off the next lap into the, into the sand, everyone's going to forget how fast you went on that one lap. People are not going to forget about vacuuming and sweeping up the mess that you made in the pits when you brought the car back. So, you know, look after yourself, prepare it, you know, treat it with the appropriate respect coming in and enjoy it. Right. You know, allow yourself to really enjoy the fact that you're going to get to do more laps in some cases than you've ever been able to do in competition and take every single lap as a, as a, as a gift and as an opportunity to learn. Don't put the pressure on you. Believe me. Even in these big races, you know, very often the biggest, the biggest enemy, the biggest opponent is you, right? And don't, don't blame others who could be watching as creating the stress because you're letting yourself off the hook. Right. You know, you're the one who's in control. You're in the car. Um, and it's incumbent on you to get out there, do your best, enjoy yourself and keep, look after yourself too. look after the car. You got to preserve the car, uh, figure out a pace that you can do consistently without putting the car at risk and just nail it. Right. Try to drive that. Try to drive that. If, if that's seven tenths, do 7.1, 7.1, seven tenths every single lap. The team's going to be a lot happier than if you're up and down. Right. And more often than not, the car will be having an easier time as well. So over time, do you get past the idea that, that, I can't drive it as fast as I'd like to because if I get into trouble, I'm letting my team down. Is there some point in time in your endurance racing career where that kind of you get the confidence in your ability that you don't really think about that? Because that was always my thing is like, I know I can drive this car faster, you know, and I can probably drive it faster for the whole stint. But I am afraid that, you know, if I get too close to that edge and I make a mistake, I'm letting the entire team down. Well, look, there's a time and a place to push and there's a time and a place to give yourself some margin. And the rule of thumb in an endurance race of any kind of length is if there's any doubt on a move, don't do, don't it. do it. Right. Trust your judgment. If you feel like it's going to be a minimum space, maximum confusion moment, back off. Right. Um, and especially when you're running with guys you're not used to running with, uh, don't trust them. Right. You know, they're not your local, you know, it's not your normal guys that you're maybe racing with in your region or, you know, all around the country. It's new guys, a lot of different levels of abilities. Just bear that in mind. And and here's another thing that you don't think about as as a a new person doing this, a new driver doing this is the person who's in car 25 this stint 
may not be the car person in car number 25 in the next stint. And that person who hit the same exact consistent break point and turning point every time on the, on the first stint may have different break spots and turning points on every lap on the next stint. And there's no way for you to know that. So, um, and you may have four or five different drivers in car number 25 that you've got to look out for. You'll get used to reading car language rather than the cars themselves. And you you can tell a competent driver right. from someone who's trying to find their feet. And I think you just got to proceed accordingly. Right. Right. Um, wh- what else? I mean, we, again, I think we could probably talk for another hour, but um, any other tips for on the driver's side to, um, to, to, to think about going, Oh, the other thing I was telling you is <laughs> I always felt it was the best thing for a new team in an endurance race would be to be two laps down ready to start and know they're not going to win. Because then they can just focus on all those little pieces and parts and get the practice in and literally use the first 24-hour race as a practice session and not have to worry about pushing to the 10 tenths and really learn a lot about the the team and the dynamic and all of that. Um, that (laughs) Being down a couple laps early might be the best thing that could happen to you. You know, one of the things I was always so impressed about with my my dad and Pat Smith was that when they went racing, they never let the highs – get the best of them and they never let the lows affect them that much and I, I went racing for a while in my early days and I could see some people that were just really amped up about stuff and they'd be setting themselves up for disappointment frustration and the, the way to do it is just to keep cool and just take it as it comes and if you're having a good day keep having a good day right right um, you know don't think that you don't deserve it and think you got to push any further or if you're having some struggles Okay, just make the best of every single lap. Keep hustling. Never stop grinding. Right. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Just the pride of execution is also worth a lot in the endurance racing game. Yeah, there's something to be said for finishing any endurance race, but even your first one's more impressive, right? There's a lot of moral victories in an endurance yeah. race. Yeah, And the key is to try to take stock of those and build off of them. Before we head out, can you tell us one story from your first endurance race to, to kind of either make us realize that it's going to suck and we shouldn't worry about it? Or is there a great story you can tell from that first race? <laughs> <laughs> well, there I was. It was 27 degrees in West Palm Beach that night. They were worried about uh, they were worried about the, uh, the, the oranges, actually. Yeah. And... Our transmission, which had kind of been fading, I think we'd lost fourth gear, finally gave up the ghost and that we were done. And it was probably like 1.30 in the morning. And I'll never forget coming in and getting out of the car and the guys say to me, well, Chris, good job. It's your turn to go out and work the pit out flag. <laughs> And, you know, what you realize is, you know, not only how quickly the race can end, but also how quickly you're, you got to resume being part of the rest of the racing community. And I thought that that was a, it was freezing. I was bundled up. You realize a couple things there. A, how much you love it. Right. Because you really don't mind it, you know, and, and also how much you really want to get back and do it again. Right. And, and, uh. It was just fun to be sitting there. I mean, it's freezing, bundled head to toe in Florida, you know, and I just remember thinking, if we come back here next year, we're going to have a great race. And we did. We were on the front row and we led a lot of laps. And um, the endurance races are all about building the cookbook. And I learned a tremendous amount in that race. And it was it was hilarious. Uh, we had a lot of fun. John Meraki from Racers Edge Motorsports was running the program. You know, we we, we still laugh about those days. Yeah, just unforgettable. You're never going to forget your first endurance race. Let's just put it that way. Right. And, and the last thing I would say is, don't drive home after your first endurance race. Get a hotel for that <laughs> night, unless you're getting on a plane and just flying home. Uh, I I tried to drive home from Moroso to Atlanta. Uh, oh I think, God. I think I got four hours at the most and, yeah. and the last two hours were idiotic to start with so the first two hours were dumb and then the last two hours were idiotic just stay that night and drive home fresh 
<laughs> no, it's great advice, Brian. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Chris, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. I, I know there's tons of value, and, and you know maybe we'll come up with some other stuff to talk about on future episodes. How's that? Always happy to be here with you. Cool. All right. That's going to do it for another episode of Inside the SCCA. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network so you won't miss an episode. It would also be great if you left a comment, especially if it's a good one. If it's not a good one, put it on someone else's page. You can also follow us on social media to find out who our next guest is. Leave a question on Twitter. It's at RacingWireNet. There's a new Inside the SCCA every week. I'm Brian Bolanski. Have yourself a fantastic weekend. Stay safe and go play with cars. Hi, I'm Kelton Jago, and this is Inside the SCCA. Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests, and not that of the SCCA.